What is going on? I want to welcome you from Half Court today on this beautiful end of March edition. And today I am joined by one of my dear friends, the Marquette Dirk Nowitzki, my dear college buddy, Troy Sergi. Troy, how you doing, man? Great, Sean. Good to be here on the show. Oh, dude, I, it's absolutely we we had been talking about doing this for a long time. So like this is this is an inevitability, to be honest. So it wasn't a matter of if it was a matter of when. And now it's just a matter of how often, because, you know, it's one of those things where I know once we do it once, it's like, all right, well, we got to keep this train rolling, man. So I'm so excited that you're here. Uh, Troy, do you want to kind of like explain our history of basketball and our friendship a little bit? Because it's kind of they kind of go hand in hand. If it really will. does, Sean. And uh, I'll definitely lead that story. So we had a freshman uh, theology class together in uh, in college at uh, Grace Bible College at the time, Grace Christian University. And uh, uh, you, yes. you were wearing one of those old, uh, if I recall, you know, the old early 2000s uh, Pistons hat, uh, you know, with the horse and the Pistons. That's green. right. Yeah, the teal, man. Mm-hmm. And uh, you heard from the grapevine that I was from Marquette. And uh, you asked me if I've ever eaten at Van Gogh's restaurant. And, uh... you know, I, it wasn't it wasn't that I heard through the grapevine. I, I guess I did, because the grapevine was the shirt that you were wearing that said Marquette. <laughs> <laughs> OK, OK. That, yeah, you got it, Sean. Normally, I'm the one with the good memory, but uh, you got this one. And uh-huh. uh, OK, so I was wearing the, the Marquette shirt and you asked if I was from Marquette, maybe. And I said yes. And you asked if uh-huh. I didn't get mangoes. And I said yes. And uh, one one funny thing I remember from that day is you I don't know what the context was, but you made a Augustus Gloop, uh, Charlie in the Chocolate Factory joking <laughs> class. And for some reason, I was like, who in the heck is this kid making an Augustus Gloop joke in class? But I, 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 I liked it. And oh, um, and then you asked me about my hometown and you asked me about Van Gogh's. And then you said, uh, you know what else is a good place to eat in Marquette? And I said, what? And you said, the casa and their garlic bread. And I said, you know what, Sean? You're, you're already family, bro. Uh, did, you, did you know at that point? Because, by the way, I, I feel <laughs> I feel like – so a little bit information. Uh, we're, we're from Michigan, originally from Michigan. I'm from the – I'm from the Mitten. You're from the Upper Peninsula up there in Marquette. And uh, Marquette is a it's – a, it's a tourist-heavy town, I would say. It's probably – one of the more touristy towns in the Upper Peninsula. Would you say that's fair? I, I mean, would obviously, so. yeah. I, Maybe I, number I would two s- or three, but to, to me, yeah. Thing, but yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, like, generally, whenever people people say, "Oh, I love Marquette," it's it's kind of like a casual, like, "Okay, you've been there one or two times." So I can picture in your head, you're like, "Oh, this kid's just a casual when it comes to Marquette." I, I have to imagine that was going through your head, and then I go Casa Calabria. Gar- gar- garlic bread and you're like nope this guy knows what he's talking about yeah absolutely you very much impressed me there and then we started talking uh pistons with that with the hat and uh, mm-hmm. i remember you talking about uh your love for that uh 04 team uh that won the championship but then even the years to come with the eastern conference finals with chauncey billups and rip hamilton and tayshaun yeah. prince and really uh i didn't start watching until their Eastern Conference loss in 2008. That was my first year watching them somewhat closely to the Boston Celtics, who, of course, won the NBA Finals that year. Um, Um, So let me ask. So your first year, so mm -hmm. just to clarify, your first year was the Allen Iverson year. Well, no. um, So that was my first probably like super, super 
uh, like intense. Oh, it's the season before. Season the season before, before is when I somewhat it. became a, a decent, more than casual fan, but I became a hardcore fan in the Allen Iverson year. But my my first somewhat casual fan was definitely that 07-08 team with Chauncey Billups still on that team. Yeah. Uh, Rip Hamilton, Tayshawn Prince, Antonio McDice, Rasheed Wallace. Um, and I do remember watching game five. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, game five. I'm sorry, game four. <laughs> game four, uh, which was the Pistons still to this day, uh, that game four game was their last playoff win um, oh, yeah. against mm-hmm. the Boston Celtics uh, at the Palace of Auburn Hills. Um, I remember that what's known of that game was uh, Jason Maxiel blocked Kevin Garnett on a dunk. And uh, that's <laughs> that was my last memory of a Pistons oh. win. And that's all of our last memories of a Pistons win for a playoff yeah. Dude, that uh, that brings back memories. Oh my goodness, I repressed that hardcore. But yeah, yeah. um, no, I uh, I, I kind of knew that day. I was like, "Yep, this guy's gonna be a friend of mine," and, and it just <laughs> it blossomed into this beautiful friendship. And so, you know, it's one of those things where when you find people that are Pistons fans, let alone just NBA hardcore NBA fans in general, which we both found out that we both not only loved our our Detroit Pistons, but we love this league. Uh, that kind of just blossomed a beautiful friendship where we're talking basketball all the time. So uh, now this is just kind of what we would do on a regular basis anyway. Whenever you give me a call, you always come with a litany of questions <laughs> regarding the Pistons or the league. And so now now it's just the formality of we're recording it. So this is uh, this is special, man. I'm, I'm excited that you're here. Uh, but if this is your first time being here, this, of course, is from Half Court Reach. And every week at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, I sit down with a dear friend of mine talking all things NBA basketball. If you like what you see and you want to join the conversation, be sure to follow. Give us a subscribe. You can follow me on Twitter at West 255 Troy, where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, it's going to be uh, at Troy.Sergi. Pretty basic. Troy, you went creative with that with that handle there. I like it. Basic. <laughs> yes, I I retweet a lot of uh, piston stuff. Uh, don't make a lot of bold statements myself. Um, <laughs> you, yeah. you what you generally do, and I've noticed, and I love it, is that like you, you whenever you want to make a bold statement, you reach out to me, and you're like, Sean, what do you think about this? And I have to either explain why I love it or why I think you're wrong, and that you should never open your mouth about that subject again. It sounds pretty um, much right. <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, hey, we got a lot to talk about today, man. We're talking, uh, we're talking the Pistons, of course. We're talking shooters because Troy Sergi, my dear friend here, is a uh, probably the biggest fan of, of of shooters that I know, as far as like three point snipers, as far as mid range J pull up boys, anything that you can think of. I, I think Troy, that's kind of your wheelhouse. So we'll definitely be getting into that. Um, perhaps even some Dirk Nowitzki talk. I, sure. I feel I, I feel is in our future. That's your isn't he your favorite player of all time? Dirk uh, Nowitzki, probably in the modern league. I, I guess my favorite would have to be uh, 1970s Pistol Pete Maravich, but uh, Ooh, okay. Dirk's going to okay. be up there. Uh, I got to see him play back in 2016 at the Palace of Auburn Hills in uh, mm-hmm. Bourbon, Detroit, and uh, that was just that was so cool for me. To, to have studied a guy and uh, to idolize the guy in my, my, my early years of middle school and high school, and then just about to graduate high school. And there he was and 
behold in front of my eyes Dirk himself. So that was a cool experience to see Dirk play. In I love those lanky it. white guys that can shoot the ball, right, man? Right. I think that one must have been his probably <laughs> third, third, third to last year in the league too. So, uh, yes, a memory I always remember as I, I did get to see Dirk play in person. So heck yeah, man, that's awesome. Well, yeah, we'll we'll be definitely getting into into some of our favorite shooters in the history of the league. I definitely want to talk the Detroit Pistons and their rebuild. But first, I have some NBA headlines that I kind of want to go go on about. So we are following a pretty historical trade deadline, Troy. Um, I believe they said that this, there were the most trades in the history of an NBA trade deadline on Thursday, which is crazy because at the time of the deadline, it didn't feel like there was a lot going on. It was more so in the morning and then like what was flooding in right after the deadline. So to me, it was pretty crazy. Um, but also with that, there is the uh, NBA buyout market, which is becoming more and more of a thing each and every year. There's these veteran guys that go to these teams and it's like, yep, this isn't going to work. Let's just split and move on. And there was one that happened yesterday, which we'll get into in a minute. But more importantly, there's a buyout that there was a buyout agreement that happened 20 minutes ago, right before we started recording. In fact, Troy was like, Sean, don't check Twitter. I got a bombshell to drop. I got to break this news to you. But I'm like, Troy, I got my Woj notifications on, man. I've had them on for months. I know what's going on, my guy. But. I do want to give you the honors of breaking this news. Troy, what what transpired today at about as a recording Sunday, March 28th at about 1.45 p.m.? Yes, Sean. So about 30 minutes ago, former Detroit Piston, former Cleveland Cavalier center Andre Drummond just signed a deal with the Los Angeles Lakers joining. Of there course, it is. <laughs> of course, joining LeBron James and Anthony Davis, and uh, we know all our buddies going to have a uh, reuniting, reuniting with uh, a reunion. I'm sorry, that was the word I was looking yeah. for. <laughs> a reunion <laughs> with Contavious uh, Cladwell Pope and uh, Markeith Morris as well. So, um, yes, Andre Drummond is a Los Angeles Laker. For those of you who know Andre Drummond, either love him or hate him, but uh, more than likely. You hate him, so <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the most glowing review you could possibly get right there. More than likely, you hate him. Um, yeah, so this broke uh this broke about a half hour ago, but it's been kind of widely speculated and talked about for the past few weeks now. It's kind of been like kind of like one of the worst kept secrets in the league, I'd think. Um, you know, kinda uh Troy, I'd love to know your thoughts, obviously. For me, I think I think it's a good pickup for the Lakers. I think it's exactly what they needed. Um, but it's not a pickup that makes me change my mind as to who I think is going to win the championship, which I thought before this deal, it was going to be Brooklyn. After this deal, I think it's going to be Brooklyn. Um, it's just, look, man, first of all, um, Andre Drummond, just let's say he goes in and he does what they need him to do, right? Um, he's going to control the glass. He's going to be a, he's going to be a rim protector. He's going to get you some easy lobs, you know, things like that. If he just commits to doing that on the offensive end and tries to not handle the ball himself or tries to shoot threes, anything like that, if he can do that, I think, I think he's a very good addition for the Lakers and quite frankly, a steal. Um, however, 
that doesn't change the fact that the Lakers are having health issues. And on top of that, um, the there is a team in the Eastern Conference that from top to bottom is just one of the most stacked rosters I've seen in my time watching the NBA. So this is getting crazy. Um, so try, I'd love to know your thoughts. So do, do you think this moves the needle at all? Do you think the Lakers, do, do you think that they should be favorites to win the title because of this? I don't think it changes their odds, Sean. I, I am pretty much agreeing with you. Uh, it's interesting, you know, what you mentioned earlier with the buyout market. I mean, the league's changing. I mean, like to, to, a, to a degree that's, it's hard to recognize this league from the league of eight nine, 10 years ago, as far as the buyout market, as far even as five years ago, man, it's crazy. Five, it's I, I, would, I would even changing. say maybe three, if we want to get really practical. Um, <laughs> let's the, go to, <laughs> right. Let's okay. go to, um, no, but the, the NBA is changing and uh, this buyout market is, is incredible, especially, you know, I, I know James Harden has done some criticism with, um, uh, I think Kyrie Irving maybe too with um, how how teams or coaches or, or GMs are benching players like we, we saw with Detroit and Cleveland with with Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond uh, yeah. basically until they can get traded or or, or bought out um, versus uh, those players who don't choose to play on their own will because like James Harden um, who, who did not want to play for Houston and basically was um, – not playing to his full potential that that those last few games in Houston. That's putting um, it kindly, yeah. <laughs> that's putting it very, very kindly. Um, um, so uh, going back to the Andre thing, I think that needed to be said first with looking at this big picture for sure, for sure. market. Um, but with Andre going to the Lakers, I don't think it's going to change much. I think my biggest worry, if I was a Lakers fan, would be uh, how much is this going to get to his ego? You know, like, is he even willing to be a role player? Because that's what he will right. be, a role player. I mean, he will be a, a backup for Anthony Davis. He will be getting – I could see him getting 26 minutes a game. I really could see him getting 26 minutes a game. Oh, for sure, game. for sure. Uh, um, but what does that look like? I don't know. I really don't know what that looks like because he's a stat pounder. Um mm-hmm. Uh, but he can do serviceable things. Like he, he can give you 2020 literally any night, any night yep. he can give you 2020. He can yep. give you 25, 25 even. Yeah, we've even seen him do 30, 30 before. So uh, yes, he's a, he's a very serviceable player. However, I just don't know how he's going to fit in with this crew. I, I don't know how he he wants to fit in i don't know if he wants a paycheck over uh winning a championship i i just don't know andre drummond too well on the inside because he couldn't really express what he wanted in detroit or cleveland like right. we just saw a crybaby who was taking us to an eighth seat twice in eight <laughs> years right i mean yeah. come on yeah uh, i yeah so so for me i i definitely i agree with you 100 percent. i think your analysis is kind of spot on of it, it it's really the question of what andre drummond or the lakers getting right because i think we all know what he's capable of um to me i very much view this in the similar light of of a of a dwight howard to the lakers situation sure. where i don't think i don't think andre's career is coming in nearly as much of a rock bottom as uh as as Dwight's was just because Dwight Howard's career at that point was let's just be honest he was damaged goods he he was he was a team away from going to Europe um that that's just that's where he was right and him coming in he had to accept a new role he had to 
check his ego at the door, and he just had to become an antagonizing rim protector that could catch lobs. And that's what he did. And now he has a place in this league for at least the next few years as, as a result of that. Right. So I think Andre Drummond, um, I, I think it's been pretty well chronicled. Um, if you've been paying attention a couple years ago, he deemed that this upcoming off season was going to be, or it was actually last off season. He was supposed to opt out of his player option. And he was believed he, in his head. He was the big free agent that was due a big contract. That, that would have been uh, two years ago. It was last year in Detroit. Yep. I think mm-hmm. yep. Yep. That's exactly it. And so at that point he came to, um, you know, he, the, the Detroit Pistons realized, okay, we are not going to want to have to pay him that kind of contract. We need to move in a different direction. We got to trade this guy. And what they got in return was a bag of nickels for a lack of better terms. They got John Hansen, uh, they got Brandon Knight and they got a second round pick. Right. And so um, to, for him to realize, Oh, I actually don't have any value. I actually should pick up this player option, which is exactly why Detroit wanted to trade him was to avoid that player option. Um, Now you're seeing a guy who, I don't know what he could sign for this offseason. I don't know because his value, as we just said, was deemed to be that low. So if if I'm looking at Andre Drummond, this is very much a, uh, this is an audition, right? This is to show, hey, this is what I can bring to a contending team. This is, this to me says, hey, Boston, hey, Portland, hey, what you know, whatever team that you can name that is going to be in the market for a big this summer to say, I'm willing to come in and do what's necessary. I'm not trying to do anything more than that. But the problem is, is that we've never seen Andre Drummond do that because he's always believed he's a star in the league. Um, and I remember saying on a podcast a couple months ago, and I remember you and I talking about this quote in depth where an, where a basketball insider and an analyst said he can go out there, he can fill out the box sheet. And at the end of the day, not affect the NBA game in a single way, which to give, put up 20 points and give 20 rebounds and for it to feel like you didn't affect the flow of a game at all says something. So, um, yeah, I think he has a lot to prove. I, that's that's where I'm at. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I don't know if this is a good comparison, but you, we could make the same argument for uh, a fellow named Carmelo Anthony a couple years ago, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, Houston, uh, my goodness. And, and then Oklahoma City, or maybe maybe the two were, were flip-flop. Yeah, Oklahoma City first, then Houston. And, yeah. and, and um didn't really contribute much, uh, no. but then took a little break from the league, really looked himself in the mirror and said, you know what? I've, I've tried to be a star in this league. I have succeeded to some degree as far as scoring titles and things like that, um, but I have not won a championship. I haven't gone right. NBA finals even, and not saying Portland has yet because uh, they haven't, but he's at least been an incredible role player. And he has not tried to be the best player on a Portland team at all. He's tried to contribute and make his Portland team the best player by using the stars like Damian Lillard, like CJ. Yeah. Um, and, and I think Carmelo 
is in the league right now because of that. I mean, I remember watching, um, you know, first take with Stephen A and Max Kellerman maybe two or three years ago, and they were demanding the poor man, to Carmelo, to, to retire. Go play in China. Go move to China, they were telling yeah. him. And, yep. and they said, there's no place in the NBA for you, Carmelo Anthony. But he, there was a place, be, but there only was a place because he was able to man up and to accept a new role on a team and to still give you 20 a night. I mean, I know Carmelo doesn't mind that. Uh, right, 100%. But moving the story back to Andre, um, Andre, we know, strives to get 30-30 a night. Uh, that's what he's yeah. striving to do in Detroit and Cleveland. That's the only two teams we've seen him play for, for so far. But if if Andre can put up 14 points and maybe nine rebounds for right. 21 minutes, and you know his team won wins by six points against I don't know um, <laughs> the Trailblazers or something or the Mavericks, you know, in a in a playoff game wherever wherever round that would be, he helped. They'll win that game. There, there would be no disputing that by by those stats. Um, For sure. So, if Andre has no problem with that, then your words of this being a steal, absolutely, this is a steal pickup. But if he wants to control the ball, could you imagine not feeding LeBron James the ball? Could you imagine the, the, what what that will do to LeBron James emotionally? He will lash out at Andre. Like, uh, imagine if Andre tried to be the ball hog of that Lakers team. Imagine what Anthony Davis would say. And, and, and listen, it, and it's one of those things where, listen, I think he knows, first of all, that's not going to happen, right? Because at the end of the day, um, I the, there are very few situations he's going to get the ball Um higher up than the post higher up than the block you know what i mean he's going to very much be receiving the ball at the rim there is going to be very little situations unless if it's a give and go or or a screen or anything like that that he's going to be having the ball in his hands at the top of the key um so to me i don't see that even being an issue because if it is then guess what Montrez Harrell's ready to come in, and so is Marc Gasol. So he's definitely going to be the best big man on that team coming in day one, um, as far as like traditional center goes, right? right? I mean, Anthony Davis is a big <laughs> man, but you know, it's one of those things where it, it very much is. Hey, th- we're we're signing you on a veteran minimum. We can do whatever we want. So right. you're coming in. You have this specific job to do. If you do it, we're gonna we can win a championship. Um, so I think LeBron James is very much going to be in control there. He very much was lobbying for Drummond to come to come to LA, and so I'm fascinated to see what happens there. But um, speaking of big men buyouts, where they're signing to new franchises, um, there was another one yesterday in Brooklyn, and I want before I tell you about that. Um, I want to read a tweet from July 16th, 2010 from Kevin Durant, which says, now everybody want to play for the Heat and the Lakers. Let's go back to being competitive and going at these people. And um, and 10 years later, 11 years later, and again, I'm not blaming Kevin Durant. Um, he's he's building this in Brooklyn. You know what I mean? Like he he's he came in and made this team a contender. And now there's these guys that are just joining, right? So first we have Blake Griffin who joined after his buyout, which to me, that made sense. Like, all right, I totally get it. Go, go get yourself a ring young fella. You know what I mean? Um, and then Lamar, (laughs) (laughs) and then Lamarcus, Lamarcus Aldridge gets bought out. 
and all reports say he's looking at Miami. And I'm like, okay, that makes total sense. But now, as of yesterday, LaMarcus Aldridge agrees to a to a deal with the Brooklyn Nets. And so now we're in a situation where um, the top 10 for the Brooklyn Nets is just absolutely ridiculous. They went from having no big depth at all to um, just naming a couple, having DeAndre Jordan, LaMarcus Aldridge, Blake Griffin, um, just how flexible they are as far as as how many bigs that they have. And I'm not saying these guys are superstars by any stretch of the imagination. I think Blake's looks much better ever since he's gotten to Brooklyn. He's he's playing really well for them so far. Um, LaMarcus Aldridge was having the worst season of his career in San Antonio leading up to this. So it's not like they're getting that prime LaMarcus Aldridge. But if he's motivated, he's certainly going to do better than he did in San Antonio. So... In my in my honest opinion, I'm disappointed in a guy like a like a Lamarcus Aldridge because if I'm you know if I'm in that situation, I'd like to think I would try and compete, right? But um, you know, I, I I get it in the sense that you want to go get a ring, you're trying to sign there. But do you think that do you think this is getting out of hand? Do you think that this buy buyout market is getting a little excessive? Because I look at that, and I'm like, okay. That's they don't even need him. Like, come on, you know what I mean. So, yeah, I yeah. to me, to me, I just wonder: is this getting to be too much? It's definitely too much for us as fans. I think um, it's hard to, you know, I, I I've tried to put myself in the shoes of a professional athlete, especially one whose career is winding down, and, and you do want to win a ring, you know. Uh, and and sometimes maybe when you compete hard, because you got to remember, look at a guy. Let's just use someone like Damian Lillard for example, uh, who time. has fought, 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 been in close games, close games. Never made it to the final. Let's look at James Harden. James Harden might be even a better example. Um, just has, you know, was was in a game seven of, of a conference final. Went to the finals when he was a youngster in, in, with the Thunder. But but still, never got to get over that hump and win, win a finals. Um, so it's hard. But but this stems back to uh, a team that we like, the, the, the 2008 Celtics with, with, with the – with the squad getting together. And, and, and the truth is no one uh, in NBA history, no team has ever won a ring because of one player as far as right. that's the only reason that they won the championship was with that one player, right? It, it's always going to be a team game. Michael ne- Michael Jordan needed teammates. LeBron James needed teammates. Our our, our bad boy Pistons needed a, uh, um, a solid team besides Isaiah Thomas and Joe Dumars. They needed role players around them. So right. like Dan Beer and Vinnie Johnson. So, and Larry Bird's team had, had role magic Johnson's teams had role. So these role players play a, a significant factor, but going back to your original question, is this getting out of hand? <sighs> yes. As a fan, it definitely is Sean. Um, but I, I have a hard time pointing the finger and blaming the players for doing it because a lot of them are just sick of losing. They've lost, lost, lost in all the competitive games. And now they have an opportunity to get themselves over the hump with, with these stars. So I, for that factor, I, I would say we can't, we can't be uh, pointing the right. fingers and calling them enemies or villains even. Oh no, absolutely. And I, and I don't, and, and that's not what I'm doing, you know, and I, that's not what I'm trying to do. And I, and I don't think, I think that's just juvenile to to do that, right? Um, you know, but I, I will say, 
because even though um, the buyout market is becoming much more popular of a thing, I think this season's buyout market is is unprecedented to the scale in which this is improving rosters, right? So um, just just to just to give an example or just to give an explanation, um, first of all, in the history of of the buyout market, I'm going to go out on a limb and say there has never been a guys that are the caliber of a Blake Griffin or even of a LaMarcus Aldridge, right? Like I, I'm going to try to look up here, like, um, like uh, biggest NBA buyouts, because right now I'm looking at this roster that Brooklyn has, and this is their potential. This is just their top 10, right? So like, we're not even getting deeper into their bench. These are just their 10, their potential 10 man rotation, which mind you in the playoffs, some of these guys might not be playing. But the fact that this is their 10-man rotation is insane. So let's just go through it, okay? Through so first, uh, let's look at their starting five. James Harden, Kyrie Irving, Joe Harris, Kevin Durant, DeAndre Jordan. That's your starting five. <laughs> which already right off the bat, that is a ridiculous starting five, right? Um, th- the best in the league, and I don't think it's close. Correct. And then you get into their bench. You got Bruce Brown, who is a stud on the defensive side of the ball, who has contributed to Brooklyn big time. Um, If you've been paying attention, he's been an anchor for them. Um, You get Jeff Green, who is already a solid backup in this league. But not only that, now you get Blake Griffin to go alongside Jeff Green, um, who at this point of his career is a more explosive Jeff Green type player. (laughs) <laughs> um yeah, wow. with, who, who can also who can also facilitate the ball um and then you you throw in LaMarcus Aldridge which one of my favorite what? players to be honest I, I love LaMarcus Aldridge I don't even like the fit to be honest I like just as far as you know to me like I, as far as like how he plays basketball and as far as the schematics like to me that's just like a luxury I, that's not even a basketball fit. Um, so to me, that's more so just, hey, we got to sign LaMarcus Aldridge. It's not a, it's mm-hmm. not like an Andre Drummond fit like a glove in Lake in, El, in La La Land. This is like, yeah. we just, we just get another guy, right? And then you yeah. got Nicholas Claxton. So their depth is just, there. there's no other, there's, there's no basketball term that I could use about their depth that goes <laughs> beyond bonkers. Right. You know and- what I mean? Right. And I want to add something too that that I think is an underlining factor in all of this. And that's the depth of the NBA, Sean. I mean, seriously, think about it. If you're a GM and you want to build the best roster you possibly can, you have so many options. So for someone who has been bought out or just a free agent in, gen- in general during the offseason, and a team like the Nets or the modern day Lakers, right, or any team during any year who, who's a contender wants to pursue you and feels valued enough to pursue you, um, for you as the athlete, you, you should be on board for that. Um, so, 
the depth of the league, I think, is causing a lot of this, Sean. The, the, the fact that there's so many stars out there, and, and especially like, you know, the traditional 90s with like a Reggie Miller sticking with the Pacers his whole career, or, or a Kobe Bryant sticking with the, um, with the Lakers, or, or Tim Duncan with, with the Spurs. I mean, even like Tony Parker went out one year with the Hornets. I mean, come on, you know? Right. So wh- where I'm going with that is that the league is so depth filled with so many incredible players who who are borderline all-stars i mean let's face it i mean our guy jeremy grant on the pistons wasn't even an all-star and we could make a good case he should have been um a very good case a very good case so the fact that we have players like that throughout the league uh we have players who who have been multiple time all-stars but not one this year maybe next year they might be so the fact that at any year you can have a certain amount of all-stars and the fact that no all-star is guaranteed to be an all-star next year because there's so many people that didn't make it on the border it shows you the depth of the league and the depth of the league i think is causing this problem when you have a gm like the next gm who wants to build the best team and there's someone like a lamarcus aldridge or a blake griffin available yeah no absolutely you're gonna do it yeah you're gonna do it 100 and that's and like i said i think that's why the lamarcus aldridge signing was just a luxury it's it's just like a a you get to go out and make that move 100 so when i think of like you know in when i was younger i like when i think of like some like the more notable buyouts i think of chris weber coming to detroit back in the day i think of um you know like i i see one of like darren williams he got bought out of his contract in the nets and uh he went to uh um then he went to i I believe he went to dallas after that um you know but there's never truly been um there's never truly been these this many buyouts to this extent and this scale I would say. So I think the NBA buyout market is, and and I think you're going to see this continue where I think, uh, I, I don't know if we're going to see as big of names in this kind of market, but like, you know, when I look at, when I look at the landscape of the league, um, I would imagine that Kevin Love could very well be someone that's on his way to a buyout in the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. I think you're, I think you're going to see names like that, where I think each and every year there's going to be someone that's going to want to go win a championship, and they're going to be willing to do what it takes. Um, so, absolutely, I, th- I, I certainly think the league's changing, and I think right. this is just a big symbol of that which 100%. shows you that whatever team you are if, if you whatever team you are whatever position you play and you're a potential filled player who is putting up good stacks doesn't matter really your win column right i mean we saw that even with the derrick rose this past year with the pistons and just going to, to new york and we especially saw it with with blake griffin in, in detroit to the net so like teams look teams don't care um potential teams uh teams that uh our, our contenders, contending teams, they don't care about what team you're playing for, or how many wins that you're helping them play. They care about your individual stat base and and performance and impact on the game in order for you to help up their team uh, in the future. So it's incredible to think about it that way. And, and yeah. you look at all the additions, even even our, I mean, it's kind of been around for a long time too. I mean, look at our 04 team with, with Rasheed Wallace, not really doing a ton with, with Portland towards the end. I mean, in the early 2000s, they had success. And then he played for Atlanta for one game. But he was the right <laughs> man at the right time for our team. For sure. You know, for sure. to win a championship. So, 
yeah, it doesn't matter who these players are playing for. If a contender wants them and thinks that they can have impact, they're going to pursue them. 100%. And so I think, um, you know, it's just the method of how they're doing it is changing. Mm-hmm. It used to be those, it used to be those, those kinds of trades. But now I think, I think players, I think, I think the philosophy of how players are viewed in the eyes of a GM is changing because there is a case to be said that um, for lack of better terms, like in Detroit, it's better for Blake Griffin to still be eating at your cap space for the next couple of years, but for him to not be on your roster, not because Blake Griffin isn't a talented player because you're just heading in a different direction. Right. So I think, I think that's a big piece of it is how salary is viewed and how it's being utilized is just changing. So I think it's going to be certainly interesting to see how that, um, how that evolves over the coming years. I think certainly um, Brooklyn is, is putting a lot of pressure on themselves. This is their championship to lose in my honest opinion. So it's going to be interesting to see how that happens. Um, before we kind of get into the crux of, of kind of what we wanted to talk about, there is one last story I want to go over. And I know, I know I told you a little about it at the beginning, but you don't know a whole lot about it, but um, this is coming from uh, this is coming from Sportsnet, which is a um, which is a Canadian sports website. And essentially, um, one of the biggest things buzzing in the NBA right now is beef between Raptors star Pascal Siakam and coach Nick Nurse. Um, so essentially how this started was um, there was a game where the Raptors had lost their eighth straight. Um, and they lost, uh, against Cleveland and Nick nurse benched, benched Pascal Siakam for the entirety of the fourth quarter. Um, and Pascal was angry. And and in fact, um, I'll just read this directly from the article. Um, and it says there is no disputing that Pascal Siakam went off on head coach, Nick nurse on Sunday night in the cramped visitors dressing room at rocket mortgage field house in the moments after what was their eighth straight loss. This one to the lowly Cleveland Cavaliers. The Raptors mounted a fourth quarter comeback from down 22 after Nurse went to a defense heavy lineup featuring Pat McCaw and Stanley Johnson, but Siakam wasn't part of it. He remained on the on the bench for the entire quarter, even when Toronto pulled within six, within six minutes left. The Raptors scored just 12 points from there, and they lost by 11. Siakam wasn't happy, and according to multiple sources, let Nurse know about it, loudly and aggressively, with words beyond standard cursing. It got personal. Lines were crossed, and teammates had to intervene, according to multiple sources. So, to me, this was just interesting because Toronto is is a team that's built around their culture, right? And um, now you have a situation a couple years after Kawhi left where Pascal Siakam is believed to be your, your franchise centerpiece going forward. Um, and I believe that Toronto had to refrain from trading Kyle Lowry almost just to keep peace and to keep stability in that locker room, because it's looking like there is some genuine beef between Pascal Siakam and Nick nurse. So Troy, what's your reaction after hearing about something like that, you know, some of that is just yeah. frustration of an eight game losing streak. Some of that is, Hey, why aren't you putting your star out on the court? But I mean, Hey, it's sounding like there's some, there's some tension and there's, there's some problems in Toronto right now. 
Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. And, uh, you know, of course, you know, they're missing, you know, all the teams are missing this, uh, their fan base with, with the COVID restrictions. Let alone, they're not even playing in their home arena. They're playing Tampa, Troy. Sean, they're playing in a different country, bud. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're, yeah, they're playing in Tampa Bay. They're the Tampa Bay Raptors this year, man. Yeah, so there's a lot. There's just a lot going on there uh, between Nick and, and Pascal. But it's it's hard too because you know you win a championship, you know, less than two years ago, and you're having this this beef uh, with your coach, and, and and it's hard too because you know Siakam, an incredible player, a player mm-hmm. I would I would kill for to have on our team, right? Um, mm-hmm. But is he? Should he be the face of a franchise moving forward? Now, of course, he's the best player now, you know, you know, Mm -hmm. but do you, is he someone long-term that you can build around, build around him, you know, to, to be a contender again? And I just don't know the answer to that question. I'm not saying yes or no, but I, I'm undecided on answering that question. So the fact that they're putting pressure on him so early and we're seeing the results of that with an eight game losing streak and we, and they lost to our team twice, right? Detroit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> you know, they're, they're getting lost to a, a total re- rebuilding team when, when they have a face of a franchise, when we, you know, probably aren't building around one player right now. We're just trying to get, you know, our pieces together. So it, it's it's interesting, their structure. And I think a lot of that has to do with um, where they think they are versus where they really are. You know yeah. what I mean? Because I, I, before I did this season, I, I would have told you, you know, that they could easily be, you know, a later playoff team you know, an eighth seed or a seventh seed. And I'm not sure their exact record right now. Um, But when you're losing this badly to very poor teams consistently, you're just not where you claim to be. So I think identity is their big problem, Sean. That's the word I think that sums up all of that is they have no identity right now. It's a Raptors team with no identity. And and it's it's hard for a team that just won a championship two years ago. Granted, you're missing your your star player, but you still have a lot of, um, I guess, uh, veterans, championship veterans on that team. Um, So to have no identity with that team, it's causing all these problems. That's 100%. 100 percent yeah and you know it's one of those things where so to your point toronto is currently sitting at 18 and 27 um which if the league season were to end today um they would be sitting at 11th in the in the eastern conference um they would be a couple games out of the of the play-in tournament um to get into the into the playoffs so i think honestly um i know that you kind of took more of a of a cautionary approach at looking at Pascal Siakam, I'm going to take more of a blunt one because my answer is no. I don't think Pascal Siakam is a future Pete, is a guy that you can build around long-term. And here's why. So first of all, last year, um, I think it's becoming pretty apparent that Toronto overachieved, right? I think last year, the record that they had, the quality of wins that they had, it was pretty clear as the playoffs kept going on they were just undermanned, but they were there just because they were playing hard and they had a good system, right? Whereas now that Pascal Siakam is not playing as well as he was last year. And in fact, put it, not playing well is kind of putting it kindly because he's down. 
He's averaging under 20 a game. He's down from 20. He's down from 22.9 points per game last year. Uh, he's averaging seven rebounds, which isn't bad. But I mean, for a guy that athletic with that kind of length is kind of underperforming. And then he's averaging 29% from the three, Troy. When we're talking shooting and you got a, and you got a, you got a stretch wing, um, like the prototypical three and D wing, and you're shooting 29% from the, from behind the three point line. That isn't going to do it. You know what I mean? So, um, obviously, you know, circumstances, you got to give them some benefit of the doubt just solely because of how weird this season has been and what in the world is going on with the fact that to your point, they're not even playing in their home country. They're playing in Tampa Bay, Florida. Um, and, and also just with all of the roster changes and now with Norman Powell getting traded, Gary Trent coming in, there's a lot of changes that are happening in Toronto. We're, we're very well could be seeing a Kyle Lowry list Toronto Raptors next season. So there's a lot changing. And it's one of those things where I think they're feeling the heat. They're feeling the pressure. And it sounds like they are reaching a boiling, boiling over point. So um, this could be a start of a pretty ugly situation down in Toronto, up in Toronto. There, there could be some true woes in the six to quote, uh, to quote Drake. Cause I'm a white guy, but I mean, you know, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I would be concerned if I was a Toronto Raptors fan. Do you think I'm being too harsh on this one? I don't think so, Sean. I think I, I was just trying to be nice because I know how potentially caliber <laughs> Pascal Siakam was, but the truth is, I don't think he can be an identity. And, and that goes back to not him and his underperformance. That goes back to the depth of the league. Like you have to understand there are players in this league that can that are on teams where they're not the um you know the face of the franchise, which they could go to a rebuilding team uh, or a team struggling to find a, a cultural identity and mm-hmm. be that piece. And again, that goes back to the depth of the league. Um, So, yes, it's not that Pascal Siakam is anywhere near a bad player. It's that the league is so so depth filled that he he just can't be a face of a franchise. And 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 that's what it comes down to is you can be a good player. That doesn't mean you're the face of a franchise there. There are there, um, in my opinion right now. Are I can count on one hand how many guys in this league that could be the best player on a championship team, and even then, one hand might be too much. Correct. Because because you have LeBron James, you have Kevin Durant, you have Kawhi Leonard, and in my opinion, that's the list of of guys that can be the best player on a championship team. James Harden is is probably having the best season of his life. Um, right now he's very much looking like they could still win a championship anyway without Kevin Durant on the court, but it's also a regular season. He couldn't do it in Toronto. Steph Curry in this league, he cannot be the best player on a championship team. Um, in my opinion, that's just the way it is. So there are, in my opinion, there are three guys that can be that. And if you're not in that caliber, you're that's, that's, you're just not. 
Yeah, no, I, I was going to say for our listeners who, who don't really understand what, what Sean's saying as far as best players on a championship team, what he's saying is, you know, he, he you know, you might be wondering why there's players like like a Giannis or or even, a, like you said, a, a James Harden not on that list. It's because if you pair them with a LeBron James or a Kevin Durant or a Kawhi Leonard, they're number two. And so mm-hmm. there's plenty of players that can win a championship, maybe mm-hmm. even on their own, potentially. Mm-hmm. But if they're paired up with another person, a.k.a. those three on Sean's list, then they are sitting at number two and can't be the number one best player. Yeah, on the 100%. Championship. There are only there are only a handful of men that can be the top guy on a championship team. And the only way you make that list, in my opinion is by proving that you can do it by actually doing it. So that's, I I think, you know, with Toronto, I think they're very much in a situation where they are not a free agent destination. Um, I think, I think that they did good moves at the, at the trade deadline and getting Gary Trent jr. Who's a solid piece that they can, that they can have on their, on, on their utility belt going forward with Fred Van Vliet. I think Pascal Siakam can be a piece of a rebuild, but if they wanna, if they want to uh, finally see um, some some reshaping here in, in in the six, I think it's time that they start looking future a little bit more into the future. So that's what's going on in the league right now. That kind of I think to me wraps up a lot of uh, some of the news stories I wanted to go into. Uh, we're gonna take a quick break and then we're gonna come right back and we're gonna talk some shooters first. We got a word from our sponsor. All right, now Troy, now we are back. And this is the topic that you requested, but a topic that we both have been waiting to talk about for quite a while. And I think, I think it's a good one. And it's going to be specifically talking about shooters, all-time shooters in the history of the NBA. Um, now, Troy, your game—you uh, were—you grew up, you played in high school, um, you could have played in college, in my opinion, um, at the very least, junior varsity level of where we went very least. Um, but you were a sniper. You were a shooter. You very much had that kind of game. And so for you, shooting is kind of your passion. And so with that, I think the best way to tackle it is looking at the Mount Rushmore of NBA shooters, right? These just the top four snipers, they have the ball in their hands. You're afraid it's going to go in guys in the history of the league. Now, this is in no particular order. Um, we're going to narrow it down to, you know, of course, Mount Rushmore has four heads. I thought it had five for some reason, but it has four. Um, there goes my U.S. history brain. But anyway, we're going to go over our Mount Rushmore, and we're also going to throw in an honorable mention, just so we're going to be fair, just so it feels like we're doing a top five. But with that, Troy, I think we're going to have to make a Mount Rushmore together. Does that sound good? Let's do it. All right, perfect. So. Who is the first person on the Mount Rushmore of NBA shooting? The first person on my Mount Rushmore of NBA shooters is going to be Boston Celtics small forward and Hall of Famer from 1979 to 1992. The hitch that I'm sorry, the hick from French Lick. <laughs> Larry Bird. <laughs> Larry Bird oh is God. going to be. My first shooter, Mount Rushmore. My first Absolutely. Mount Rushmore shooter, Larry Bird. Absolutely. And and he has to be on that list, right? I mean, one of the original 
just absolute brutal. Um, and here, here's the thing. Um, he played in an era where the three point ball was not as friendly as it is today. Correct. So at the, at the time he was, um, uh, he, he was in an era where that was not a thing. In fact, he was also the winner of the first two NBA three point competitions. Um, he topped 40% from behind the arc six times. And he is only one of eight people to be in the 50, 40, 90 club, which means making 50% of his field goals, 40% of his threes and 90% of his free throws. He did it in 86, 87 and 87, 88. So the man, when he had a basketball in his hands and he was pulling up from mid from, from the top of the key, heck from half court, um, he was just absolutely deadly. Larry Bird absolutely has to be on that list. Um, are there any shots in particular? Is there any anything that as you've gone back and watched Larry Bird, what, what sticks out to you? Um, I think uh, he made a very clutch three-pointer. I'm not sure what game it would have been. I believe the 1985 NBA Finals. Actually, it might have been game seven. Uh, maybe 84. 84 was the year they won it, I think, against the mm-hmm. Lakers. Uh, mm-hmm. 1984 NBA Finals Game Seven. He hit a very clutch uh, shot from the left corner, uh, three point in Boston Garden. Um, my goodness gracious, that that shot in itself. Um, but but even looking back to his college career for Indiana State, I mean, oh yeah, the dude, the dude, arguably is the best college shooter of all time. Um, um, he, the guy, had unlimited range. He 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 won championships by three point shooting, and, and if we look at today, um, you know this guy is not on my list, but I, I could talk about him like a JJ Redick or or a Kyle Korver. For sure, for right? sure, great players, incredible shooters, have literally made a 10, 15 year career because of three point shooting. Potential, you could argue, maybe Hall of Famers, the, the two of them. Um, but okay, so they made a career off of three point shooting, but they. Will never win a championship on their own. They like, and especially, yeah. my goodness, will never be um, a face of a franchise, aka a player who uh, is sure. the best player on a championship team. But Larry Bird was the best yep. player on a championship team and could on a been. dynasty on, on a, a dynasty. dynasty. So the fact that we have this this guy from Southern Indiana, little tiny hometown, uh, you know, Caucasian male, uh, leading a championship team off of honestly shooting ability, not mm-hmm. a great defender, not a great rebounder, not a great, uh, not fast. My goodness, I could run faster than him, uh, <laughs> and, and he won a championship, the a dynasty. A face of a franchise was shooting the three-point shot, shooting mid-range game. Um, Sean, I'll say it. We will not see anything like that again. Yeah, 100%. I think he's going to be the toughest guy in this list, too, because, man, Larry Bird was a tough guy. He was um, he, he wouldn't admit it, but if you go back and watch his game, Larry Bird was dirty as heck, yeah. um, but he also could just knock it down right in your face. And there was nothing you could do about it. And he would let you know. Um, so to me, Larry Bird, he certainly was a player that was ahead of his time. Um, he, he is, to me, one of the only truly timeless stars in the history of the league because he could he could do what he did in any era and be successful. Correct. In fact, I think he could win an NBA championship being the best player on a team in this era. Yes, 
100%. Um, so, um, you know, it's one of those things where there are some great players um, in our past, but uh, I don't know if they could do that in this modern day league. Whereas Larry Bird is one of those guys where I don't think you have to question it. He's just that good. So Larry Bird is certainly on there. Um, I, I, I would agree. Larry Bird is number is, is definitely the first person on that Mount Rushmore. Now, the second person on that Mount Rushmore, I'm going to make the case, is Stephen Curry. A uh, kid from Dayton coming into the league on the Golden State Warriors. Um, 6'3 guard, everyone called skinny, scrawny, fickle, weak, um, not athletic enough, not strong enough for this game, for this league. Um, he went from making Dwight Howard a prominent free agent and star um, to a afterthought because he was deemed no longer effective in the, in the NBA because of the fact that of, of Steph Curry shooting alone, um, you needed everybody on your roster to be able to shoot at some clip because he, he him, himself was going to shoot the lights out each and every night. He was the first ever unanimous MVP. He's one of the greatest snipers of all time. Um, some of his clutch shots, you know, Mike Breen yelling bang. Uh, whenever he yells bang, I think of when Stephen Curry was running just past the half court line, shot a three against the Oklahoma City Thunder to put them yeah. ahead. Um, there's just so many shots and moments of Steph Curry. He's the one that made the three-point shot what it is today, in my opinion. And Stephen Curry has to be on the Mount Rushmore shooting. Yes, uh, he was on mine, mine too, Sean. And uh, it, the Oklahoma City shot was definitely on my on, on my list for memories with him. But another one was uh, uh, I remember the night that they retired uh, Ben Wallace, his jersey at the Palace of Auburn oh, Hills. Oh yes, and uh, he came in uh, first, you know, first couple of minutes of the first quarter, and he took a, He was standing on the P by the half court line. Uh, P for Pistons, and he was standing right there with the ball in his hands, and he stroked it. No one even, no one even thought of guarding him out there, mm-hmm. and nothing but net. <laughs> so that was a fun memory with me. And, and I think he had a sixty-point game earlier in his career before the championships in uh, Madison Square Garden in New York, where he uh, went off for sixty plus. And I think that was the first eye-opening. Uh, Steph Curry, you know, right. could be a future star in this league, which. He was and is. Uh, t- uh, so incredible memories with Steph Curry. Um, he went to Davidson, not not Dayton. Um, oh, Davidson. Yeah, you're right. My <laughs> bad, my bad. No, no, no problem there. But, you know, he took his team, I want to say to the Sweet 16, maybe Elite Eight. I'm not, mm-hmm. I can't remember quite. But that 2009 draft, looking back, I mean, not only was he the best shooter in that draft, which they all knew he was back then, but he ended up being the best player in that draft. And, oh, and 100%. Remember, Blake Griffin was picked number one, and, and James Harden was picked number three in that in that draft. So, so to, to two stars who, who who had incredible and still are having incredible impact on the game right now, uh, and, and the fact that he went number seven to to Golden State, um, and and number the seventh pick in the draft is is a is a first ballot Hall of Famer, uh, yeah. Mount Rushmore best shooter of all time, uh, Steph Curry. My goodness. Yeah, yeah, and I and I think I think you can make an argument um, that there isn't even a debate that he is the greatest shooter of all time. There's at least yeah, yeah, there is no argument because he, um, as far as volume goes, is is probably one of the highest three point volume shooters ever. But also 
averages uh, his his uh, per- career percentage is forty three percent from the three point line. <laughs> and the in the year that he won unanimous league MVP, he made uh, four hundred and two three point shots. Troy yeah. at forty five. <laughs> At shooting forty five percent from the three, forty five percent. That means he is making nearly half of his shots from the three point line. That is unheard of right. to shoot that that efficiently at that volume. We're never going to see that again. No, not, not even close. And another fun memory I just thought of was uh, game one of the 2017 NBA Finals against Cleveland. That was when LeBron James mm-hmm. scored 51 points, went to overtime. Uh, mm-hmm. Really, the Cavs' only game that they had a shot at uh, winning because I think they got that was the year they got swept, or if not, no, maybe they won game four. But um, Steph Curry shot a half court shot at the at the end of the first half at second quarter, and. When, when most players shoot a half-court shot, you don't think it's going in. You're like, oh, it would be cool if that went in, but then you're always disappointed because it doesn't. Right. But I remember thinking in my head when, when the balls when the ball left his fingertips. Um, that's money. That's money. Yep. And guess what happened? It was money. It was money. Yeah. And, and that was a funny, uh, a fun memory from Steph Curry. And he did his little shingle uh, at, at the end. And mm-hmm. uh, so, yeah, Steph Curry, you're surprised when he misses. And there's not too many players you can say that you are actually shocked when you miss a three-point shot. And you there are, is, Steph Curry does. Yeah, there is not a guy in the league, in my honest opinion, that when he shoots it, that you just go, crap. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, it, it, is, it, is, it is just this, it is this honest belief that he is going to make it. And that it's this honest shock if he doesn't. Not not when he doesn't, if he doesn't. So absolutely, I, I think he has to be the greatest shooter of all time. Yes. Now, Troy, the next member of our Mount Rushmore, who is it going to be? It's going to be 1997 to 2014. Two-time NBA champion, one for the Boston Celtics and one for the Miami Heat. He starred in uh, the movie He Got Game, playing as fictional character Jesus Shuttlesworth, Ray Allen. Yeah, there's there's not even a debate here. Listen, man, before, um, before Steph Curry, Ray Allen was the greatest shooter of all time, right? Um, he uh, would take... Uh, he, he would just take all of these shots. The, the game six 2013 final shot is perhaps the greatest three point shot ever made in a playoff game. Perhaps the greatest shot in the history of the league. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, okay. It's not, but it's in the argument, right? Yep. Um, I, I, cause to me, when I think of the greatest shot in the history of the league, I think Michael Jordan from yep. the free throw line against the yep. Utah jazz. Um, that to me is one of the most iconic, sports moments um so to me that's the greatest shot but um you know when i look at this i mean you know it's one of those things where um ray allen he's won multiple three-point competitions um he he shot at such a um um he shot at such a prolific clip i mean never once in his career did he shoot below 35 percent from the three yeah incredible absolutely incredible never once never once so he has, and he, and he a, came into the league more of a dunker. I mean, he that's like he was always a, a threat from the three, 
but mm-hmm. he's a guy where I don't I don't know if they were saying on draft night this is the best shooter in the draft. You know, yeah. Uh, yeah. he he's a guy who elevated his game to an unreal level by falling in love with shooting. You know, in, in the off season and in, in practice to get better at that, and, and took his game to an unreal level in the three point shot. Yeah, and, and in uh, my there's opinion, no, there's no way Boston wins that 08 championship without him. Yeah, in my opinion, um, when you look at his shot, like it's one of those things where Steph Curry is the greatest shooter of all time. I don't know if a coach is going to teach their kids to shoot like Steph Curry, like as far as like form wise, you know Correct. what I mean? Correct. I, I, I wouldn't. I would <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think if there's a guy that I'm going to teach kids how to shoot a three pointer like, I'm going to show them footage of Ray Allen Correct. because because from a technical standpoint. There is not a guy that has a more fluid three-point shot in the history of the NBA than Ray Allen. It was meticulous. It was each each action was rehearsed and it was practiced and it was honed and perfected. The man just the way he shot a basketball, it was the same thing of it's just gonna go in. There, there's just not a doubt that ball's going in the basket. My goodness. Um, Ray Allen, there, there are so many memories of just watching, you know, and, and the unfortunate thing is for, for, for a solid chunk of his career, um, whether it was with Milwaukee or whether it was in Seattle, where he just wasn't playing mean, meaningful basketball. So the fact that he got to go to Boston and then he got to go to Miami and his final years in the league, people got to see the true greatness of Ray Allen. Um, he was just special, absolutely special. So the fact that we finally got to see him make some meaningful shots, and the ones that he did, um, we're gonna remember for a lifetime. Just, just greatness. It, it, there's just no other word for it, man. It's just greatness. Absolutely. Is there a moment? Is there a moment to you that sticks out other than that game six three? Is there yeah, a- other than that uh, game six, I, I do remember watching on TV. I must have been on like a Wednesday night uh, NBA on TNT game. It was. Uh, it was Celtics Lakers. It was a regular season game um, in in TD Garden in Boston, and it was when um, uh, Ray Allen broke the record of the person we're probably going to be talking about next is uh, three point record, and um, just how crazy that that Boston uh, crowd went f- for him. And, and I just remembered looking at him after he broke that record and hugging the man that we're probably going to be talking about next. And, and, and no, and that was an incredible moment for me to watch on TV as a, as a young shooter growing up in high school and in middle school who I valued the three point shot in my, my, my career as well. Uh, seeing him break that record. What was, was really cool as a kid. And, and I, I remember that to this day, it was Celtics Lakers. It was this rivalry game on TNT on a Wednesday night. And he broke the record uh, in front of the home crowd and uh, they stopped the game of course. And um, yeah, the person we're going to talk about next was, was right there uh, calling the game and uh, they, they gave each other hugs and uh it, it, it was incredible. It was an incredible uh, Troy uh, time. Fireworks might about to go off. Might be about to go off because I know exactly who you're going to now, and I see why you thought it was a consensus. Oh, it's it, not. It, that wasn't going to be mine. That that honestly wasn't going to be mine. So this is going to be fun. So, um, but I can agree with it. On I can agree with it though because you're talking about Reggie Miller, right? I am talking about Reggie Miller. All right. Are you ready? I, I think I know who you're saying, but I'm going to disagree and pick, still stick with Reggie Miller. But go who, ahead. Who, where do you think I'm going? I think you're going Clay Thompson. I'm going Clay Thompson. 
listen, man. I so first of all, Clay Thompson, um, he owns the single game record for most threes made in the game at fourteen. Um, Curry might be the better, like the better shooter. Um, but when when Clay Thompson gets hot, when that man is on fire and is feeling himself, there might not be a shooter that affects a game more in the history of the league. The only one that might is Reggie Miller <laughs> because, because, because of what he did in the garden. Right. Um, I mean, the more I make the argument and the more I try to think of it, I'm going to be honest. Um, I think Reggie Miller has to be there. And I think Clay Thompson has to be our honorable mention. Um, just because of the fact that Reggie Miller before Ray Allen held that record, Reggie Miller had that game in the garden where he scored what, like six points in three seconds or something like that. I think six, um, uh, six points in, uh, I think it might've been eight points in 10 seconds, actually eight points in eight points in 10 seconds. Yep. Um, he, um, he also didn't shoot below, uh, he also didn't shoot below a certain percentage. He also um, he, he was considered the goat before a lot of these guys came along. Um, you know, the more I try to think of arguments against Reggie Reggie Miller, I can't do it because Reggie Miller was just special. Um, you know, I think towards the time I was watching him play, I I knew the pedigree that he had, but I more so saw him in his final season. You know, the malice and the palace year and things like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know what? I got to go Reggie Miller. You're right. Ooh, He's on the Mount Rushmore. often uh, you talk yourself out of uh, your, own, <laughs> your own argument, but I'm glad you're able to do that. Yeah, no, and I think if, if you had to – if you didn't go that route and wanted to debate, debate me with it, my, my, de- my defense would be um, just the fact that he was, you know, not on a championship level, but he was a face of a franchise as far as sure. getting sure. the team into playoffs. He was always the best player on his Indiana team. There was never a time, maybe, maybe toward the end, you know, run our test. Uh, we're not going to go that route. But but in his prime, <laughs> he led the team. And, and maybe, mm-hmm. maybe we could say Clay Thompson could lead a team. We, we, we don't know. He's he's like Reggie Miller in that he stuck with the same yeah. team his whole career. Not anymore he can't. Not anymore with his injury history he can't. Right, with his injury um, history. But Reggie Miller had a couple injuries too. Yeah, but there the, – <laughs> There's well, we're, we're debating each other on. <laughs> <laughs> we're, 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 it's it's quite fascinating that not only are we debating each other, but we're debating each other on the players, on the opposite players that we were going to go into it debating about. <laughs> that is that is only something we could do, Troy. That is incredible. But no, but I mean, you know, Clay Thompson. I mean, listen, man, he he is a sniper. Um, him and Steph Curry are the greatest shooting backcourt in the history of the league. Um, I certainly think if there's a fifth head on here, I think it's got to be Clay Thompson. I yeah. think he is the honorable mention. Absolutely. Um, I think he is one of the most lethal streaky shooters in the history of the league um, that could still hit it at a consistent clip. Um, I think I am heartbroken with the injuries that he's had. Um, and the thing is, is that he, he has games that statistically just shouldn't have happened. Right. When I think of Clay Thompson, I think of the game that he in a in a 29 minute span dribbled the ball 11 times and scored 60 points. Right, it shows you what how in the 29 game minutes. Goes. Yep. 29. Yep. Imagine if he played 19 more, what he could have done. 
I mean, the guy is the guy, like the, the guy is a cheat code. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's it's yeah. one of those things where uh, Clay Thompson, man, rest up. I hope nothing but the best for you. Um, even though you're not on the Mount Rushmore just yet, if you <laughs> we'll see what he does in his career. But um, you know, I, I think Reggie Miller has to be on there just from what I think he means to the to the game and what he means to shooting yeah. in general. Because I think if if there wasn't a Reggie Miller. I don't think we would see Steph Curry in this league to the scale of what he's at. We wouldn't have gotten Ray Allen to be what he was at either. So yeah. I think, I think Reggie Miller has to be there. So um, it, yeah, it is rare that I talk myself out of my own opinions, but Hey, I could do it now. I could do it now. You're um, too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, when I, uh, it's crazy though, because I, 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 and I think that's a good list. I'm happy with that list. When I think of shooters, though, like I think it's changing. You know what I oh, mean? Like it's changing every year. Yeah. Well, because because now, like you know, some of the shooters that the that we're the most frightened about are seven feet tall. Correct. You know what I mean? <laughs> like I I mean I think one of the reasons, like you know, not to speak for you, but I mean we talked about Dirk Nowitzki. I mean yeah. that guy was a sniper, but Correct. he was not supposed to be. I mean, like that man would have that turnaround fade away on his on his on his on his foot. Just one foot fade away mid-range jump shot was just lethal. He could yeah. hit it from the three. I mean, just man, like they're just guys like that are becoming more and more common, which is insane. I mean, Kevin Durant, in my opinion, is is one of the most deadly shooters in the league from an efficiency standpoint, from things like that. Like, you know, normally we think of shooting and we just think, oh, the three-point shot. You know what I mean? Because that's I mean, that's the most valuable shot in the game. But, yeah. man, there are some guys that are just affecting the game in so many different ways, and it's right. just changing so right. quickly. I remember – do you remember uh, Yi Zhilian from China? That he, is a name. Wow. He played for uh, the New Jersey Nets, Washington Wizards, Dallas. Mm-hmm. A little mm-hmm. bit. Maybe you remember him. I remember watching him play um, against the Pistons, I think, uh, back – Oh nine, oh ten, and it was a close game towards the end. But he hit like two or three threes in a row to to win for New Jersey to beat Detroit in, in a game back 11, 10, 10, 11 years ago. And, and that that for me as a kid was like, whoa! I didn't think centers were allowed to shoot threes, right? I didn't think centers were allowed to shoot threes, but but right. they were. They obviously are. And and now, my goodness, you're. Mm-hmm. You're not competitive if you don't have a big guy who can shoot. Back, yeah, just because of it alone. Like back in the day, Taco Fall, he would have been the number one pick ten yes. years ago. Yes. Um Now, yeah. now he's in the main red clause, being like the Ypsilanti yeah. County Player of the Game, sponsored by Dairy Queen. You know what I mean? Like the value right. is just dropped off drastically. Right. And, and so. look at, do you remember with, going with me last year to uh, Grand Rapids, uh, the drive game, and who did we get to see? Hashim uh, Tabit. The, the, the guy picked ahead of two guys we've talked about today, Steph Curry and James Harden. Mm-hmm. And, and he he scored like eight points against a Grand Rapids drive minor league team. Um, this guy was the second overall pick in the draft. Mm-hmm. And he, barely making a, a G League team, right? The mm-hmm. guy can shoot, the guy can barely rebound. He's he's obsolete in today's game. So yeah. there's there's types of players like a Taco Fall, Hashim Tabit, who who you know traditionally in the past would have definitely been a top pick, but they're they're yeah. 
struggling to even make the league now. They, they probably now, won't be long yeah. term. Go yeah, ahead. Whereas, whereas now, sorry, uh, even like a guy like Isaiah Stewart, who the Pistons drafted at 16th this year, yeah, um, he's shooting threes on a regular basis. Correct. And w- with him having such a similar play style to Ben Wallace, <laughs> just thinking about like if Ben Wallace had to shoot threes on a regular basis, you know what I mean? Just like, just the fact that that's like a requirement that you got to at least have that in your bag. And I mean, even earlier we talked about Andre Drummond, a big reason why he got bought out and no one wanted to trade for him is because he's got a terrible jump shot. No matter right. how many times he shows you practice shots or him in the gym, like, oh, I'm putting in that work, Andre Drummond. I'm like, bro, just stop. You got to stop. Like this is an intervention, but yeah, man, it, shooting is just absolutely changing the game. Um, b- before we wrap up, though, Troy, um, we uh, Pistons currently we have twelve wins, uh, thirty three losses. We have the second worst record in the league, and I've never been more excited about a team that's this bad. Troy, how are you feeling? Yeah. Uh, you said it as best as as it could. This is the best. Uh... The best worst team in NBA history. Um, <laughs> it's it's been fun to see the young guys develop. I mean, we could go go a lot of different directions right yeah, now. Yeah, man. You know, Jeremy Grant's been a, a contestant for most improved player. Uh, I, I'm just so impressed with Sadiq Bay and Isaiah Stewart playing. Uh, Saban Lee, when he's played, he's been a right. stud. Right, but but what's interesting, and, and we we kind of talked about how the games evolved in different ways with buyout contracts and stuff. But what's really interesting too is getting role players, like, like and signing weird contract, like ten day contracts on a consistent basis, and playing guys like like um, Frank Frank Jackson, uh, playing guys like um, is it this Tyler Cook guy that we're signing for another ten day mm-hmm. contract. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's kind of reminding me of baseball in a, in, in a weird way. I'm not a huge baseball guy, but they, they use the minor league a lot. They use, yeah. they use their minor league teams to, to, to have these minor contracts to, to use them to somewhat contribute to a team. And, um, you know, this is so foreign to me as a Pistons fan over the years, because we never did this ever. Yeah. As far alone- as. We don't Go even ahead. have our farm system this year. We don't even have our G League team this we year. We don't so. even have our G League team, and we're still using these guys like we have a G League. Um, yeah. So it's it's just incredible to see, you know, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like five years ago, if two years ago even, two years ago when we made the playoffs with Blake and Reggie Jackson and all them, um, you know, we played the same guys every night. We never looked for a, a G League contract. Right. We had guys in the G League on two ways, but they weren't a part of the rotation at all. Um, so the fact that we're using and, and competing, you know, we almost beat the Nets the other night with G League guys, you know, on because they, they were ready. They're hungry. So the guys were using our hungriness. Now, I don't know what long term this is going to look like. I really don't, Sean. It, it, are these guys just here to put bodies on the floor? Uh, because they're sure working hard. Um, and, and it's tough, too, because, you know, you, you develop the – uh, nostalgia uh, feel for some of these guys as far as moving forward. Like I mean, we saw on Twitter with when Bruce Brown left, you know, Bruce Brown is a second round pick who gave us very serviceable minutes, but people were crying about him leaving when it's like, dude, he's not a part of this long-term contract. And I'm afraid mm-hmm. to, I, I'm afraid to say it, but just like 
some of these 10-day G League contract guys who are playing phenomenal and working their tails off for us, they're mm-hmm. not a part of the long-term process. Absolutely not. Absolutely. Yeah. Frank, Frank Jackson will not be a Piston in two years. I, I, feel, I feel comfortable saying that. I feel you know, comfortable what, saying that too. Yeah, um, it's one of those things where, you know, I think, um, you know, yes, I think we could have gotten more value for Bruce Brown, right? But again, it is, again, like, you know, it's one of those things where to me, I think that's just picking at little things, trying to find things to complain about. Now, the other thing uh, that I'm going to say that I'm happy about is I finally feel like the Dwayne Casey crowd or the Dwayne Casey hate crowd um, has fully quieted down because I think (laughs) they realize that they don't have an argument in the world. Also, want to point out, um, People have been pushing for Sekou Dumboya minutes. And yep. I remember saying on this podcast, be careful what you wish for mm-hmm. because now it's come to fruition and people are, people are now realizing that Sekou Dumboya has not looked good. In fact, there's been people that have been wondering if we should have traded him at the trade deadline, which I think is another um, overreaction. I think people yeah. saw again, I think that dunk that he had, was the worst uh, against Cleveland is the worst thing that could have happened to him just because people thought that was the guy that we were going to be getting each and every night out. Um, but it's one of those things where, you know, again, that's just the, it's just the way it is. And again, it's not like he's, he's still not like he's playing a lot of minutes, right? He's, he, he really isn't um, playing all the time. However, for a guy that's having limited minutes, he's only, he's averaging, 3.6 points a game averaging about 12.6 minutes per game he's he sh- but here's the context all right he's shooting 34% from the field <laughs> he is shooting 24.3% from the three point line he is averaging almost an entire turnover a game now when you get a limited amount of touches that's bad very bad and that, it's, is, it's, that oh, is bad 20 years old uh-huh yep, feeling he still has a high upside no matter what no 100 percent. and i still love the guy and, and and if anything my heart breaks for him because i think this year i think he could have very much used some more time in the g league if, oh, if it yeah. was up to me right, right now if it was up to me right now he would absolutely be down in the g league but i mean yeah. you know here's the thing he um he's averaging less minutes than last year and his field goal percentage is worse <laughs> so it's one of those things where um especially for a guy that doesn't have a lot of time in the league um you know it's it's one of those things where um when you see regression from that kind of prospect it is concerning I don't think Detroit is putting any pressure on him to to be anything different. I think they just want to see him get more minutes and to um, and to see if he can grow and can improve and what it's like when he has to face adversity. Um, but you know, I think right now, like I said, man, be careful what you wish for because yeah. you are getting exactly what you want, and it's not exactly the most promising. And people are yeah. like, "Oh, well, he's still not getting enough minutes." I'm like, yeah. "Who do you want him to play more than Sadiq Bay?" That's not happening. He's 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 a rookie. He needs to be getting some playing time too. Jeremy Grant, who is our best player, 
who we are clamoring that we love. Who seriously? Who is he yeah. gonna? Who is he gonna get that playing time from? Right. You Nathan could argue Plumley? maybe maybe Josh Jackson, but that's even a stretch. But even then, I view Josh Jackson as part of our future. Yeah. So it's one of those things where, listen, man, you can. You can clamor for more minutes for a guy. You know where he needs to be getting his minutes? He needs to be getting his minutes in Grand Rapids. He needs to yep. be getting his minutes in in Iowa or whatever these, you know, these G League teams are. You know, he should be he should not be on an NBA roster right now. And I and I'm sorry to say that, but he is not at that level. Even on this team, he is not at that level. Sure. Which by the way, we have a roster now, Troy. I don't know if you realize this. We don't have a single guy on our roster that was a starter in the NBA last year. <laughs> we don't have a single guy on our roster that was on uh, – oh, yes, we do, Wayne Ellington. But he came back, I was going to say, from that playoff team in 2019, mm-hmm. just two short Stay years Kudum ago. Boya is the longest-tenured Detroit Piston. Yeah, and we're incredible. talking about how he needs to be in the G League. And he's two years younger than me, Sean. Just incredible, the the, the young talent <laughs> we have on this team. <laughs> That is insane. Oh my gosh. Man, that makes me feel old because you're younger than me, Troy. I'm younger my than God. you. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, there's no there's no more encouraging way to end our podcast <laughs> than, than reflecting on how old we feel. But yeah. But Troy, thank you so much for being on, man. It's you're you're definitely coming back. I'm, I'm not worried about that. It's <laughs> definitely happening again. Uh again, people can find you on Twitter at Troy.Sergi. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. All right, perfect. Well, hey, you can find me on Twitter at SeanYeWest255. This, again, is from Half Court. You can find us each and every Tuesday, 9 a.m. Eastern time, talking all things NBA basketball. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for tuning in. Leave a positive review. Share with your friends. Join the conversation. And we will see you next time from Half Court. 